Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Come on in. Pull up a chair. Good morning. I'm Dave Orsborn. And I'm Amanda Miller. And we're excited to have you here with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Cam Clutter's keeping us on track, as always. Today in the cafe, we bring back our wonderful friend for the new year. Well, he was a friend last year, too, but it's our first time talking <laughs> uh, this year to Dr. Marlon Delatore, and we'll kick off a series on evangelization with the good doctor. Then at 8.30, Deacon Joe Meyer from St. Matthew Parish in Gahanna will be in the cafe with us to share his family's story of forgiveness and mercy. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Dave. You start us with a prayer? Yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for another day. For your goodness and for your blessings. We ask for abundance of graces today, Lord. Especially those that we don't even know that we need, Lord, we ask for those now. To fill our hearts with with your love. Lord, meet us in, in all the spaces and places that we don't always know to seek you. Remind us to turn to you. That we would give our hearts to you in every moment of the day. And that we would see our neighbor and love our neighbor as you would have us. To serve them as you would have us. Help us to see with your eyes. To love with your heart. To work with your hands. And to say yes to you in every way in a perfect way like Mary did, and so we ask for her intercession, lifting these prayers up to you. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay today. (laughs) (laughs) We we were talking just before the uh, beginning of the show, kind of the doldrums. Yeah. I think it's seasonal. You know, this time of year, it's just... You know, I'm having a hard time getting going and being my usual upbeat, sunny self. Right. Yeah. Same, Dave. Okay. (laughs) We're in this boat together. Actually, I had a really interesting encounter the other day when, uh, so I, I went dancing with some friends and saw someone that I knew there. And so we danced together and uh, he was just asking like, "How, how have I been? It's been a while. And so... I told him, I was like, you know what? The last couple of weeks for me have just been a little bit more difficult. And so I was just being honest with where I was at because he asked me how I was. Um, and I think his intention to, was to like encourage me and uh, just coming from a good place. And, and he had said, well, next time I want to hear something better and um, yeah, have a good week. And and I was like, oh, well, that's that's nice. But I walked away from that conversation thinking, well, what's wrong with where I'm at? Mm-hmm. And just being honest with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes, I mean, I mean, how many times a day, especially in the first part of the day, do people say, hey, how are you doing today? You know, and mm-hmm. uh, it's easy. You, know, you don't want to unload everything on them. But, you know, so I say, you know, right. all's good. You know, things are great. Especially in the Midwest, too. I think we're a pretty, like, friendly 
area of sure. the country too and that question comes off quickly of you know how are you or how's it going or whatever especially yeah. my favorite's like when you're on a walk or something and you're passing somebody and they go hey how's it going you go good you and they're like good and that's like having a mini conversation. Keep walking. Passing, right? Don't exactly. break stride. I actually um, really dislike that. Right, right. Well, but my, my point being that I think it's really easy to answer that question superficially. Right. Um, I've always appreciated when the start of that conversation isn't like, like they don't leave it at just you you answered good they always can like take it a step further. So, okay, well, what is good? Mm-hmm. You know, what is, or, or if you're not doing so good, um, oh, how can I pray for you? Or, or something along those lines is always a lot more intentional to me. Hmm. Again, it's father Larry Richard's voice going off in my head. You know, his, uh, his response is always blessed. Hmm. And that, that's a great answer. Right. Because even if you're not aware of it, before you say it, you're aware of it after you say it, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and then you just kind of count your blessings at that point. Um, but I'm, have you guys, I mean, so you put on kind of this false face, you know, sometimes just in, you know, that superficiality or, you know, it's just a passing, passing somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? Great. You know, have a good one. But to carry that over in, into, your relationship with God in, 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 in prayer and having that false face and mm-hmm. not being honest where it's most important for us to be honest. And, and that's in our relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. You ever do that? I do. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think I've gotten to a place you know, I don't always do perfectly, but there have been times, I think especially because I, I heard a talk on, well, we should expect ourselves to fall, right? Mm-hmm. We, we should, we should, it would be prideful when we're surprised that we fall, right? And, and I kind of took that to heart, like, oh yeah, like I, I am a sinner and I am going to fall, but the mercy of God abounds. Mm-hmm. And so I've just used that concept as a mean to just be way more open and honest with the Lord. Like, Lord, we, we, we knew this was going to happen. And, and here I am just to tell you about it and talk to you about it. And yet I trust in your mercy Mm. that you, that, that there is nothing that I can hide from you. And so let's just look at it together and then trust in your mercy. That reminds me of an ongoing conversation that my wife and I have quite often which is like who or what are the things in your life that you you give the authority over your day with and so when you go to the lord with that kind of heart you're saying the underlying premise is like okay lord i give you and your mercy and your forgiveness authority over this situation and authority over my day to to change the course of it um have you guys ever been to like a coffee shop at like six o'clock in the morning when it's still dark out and and you get the early morning shift of people. I've always been so blown away at how much authority they have to set the course of my day. <laughs> wow, <laughs> like six o'clock yeah. in the morning, if you've ever been. I, I When my wife was pregnant in, in the first and early second trimester, she couldn't drink coffee. She loves coffee. 
Um, it made her sick to her stomach. The only coffee she could drink is really sugary coffee. So I would get up every day at 6 a.m. and drive to Starbucks to get her a pumpkin spice latte, as a, as a husband does. Um, <laughs> the, this was great, right? So I, I'd walk into, into the coffee shop, and every morning the, the barista or baristo there had so much authority to set how my day was going because it'd be like cold and dark and rainy and whatever the weather was. And I'd walk in and they'd be like, good morning. How's it going? And I'm like, whoa, that's really nice. I'm having a nice day now. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And just blown away by, by how much authority they have first mm-hmm. thing in the morning like that. And, and I have... That what that reminds in me, what you were saying, Amanda, just reminds me that like going to the Lord in that way, instead of giving that superficial answer, um, my my disposition or my answer should more be, uh, Lord, I give you the authority to set the tone of my day here. So even if I'm not feeling good or not having a good day, I can trust in your forgiveness and trust in your mercy. And that can become the new, you know, baseline that I can kind of launch off of. Yeah. Actually, I will tend to throw people off when they ask me how I am because <laughs> I do like honesty and I do want to be like, I just want to be where I'm at and like not, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I'm at the <laughs> cash register or something and I, I start talking to people, how, how's your day going? How's your shift? You know, you still working? I'll just start conversation. And then when they ask me how I am, sometimes I'm like, you know what? My day's just okay to get today. And then that gives them opportunity to be like, oh, well, why? What's going on? And I'll just, oh, mm. I'm, I'm just a little tired this week. That's all. But, you know, I'm looking forward to my evening. And it just opens up a possibility of a genuine conversation. So. I celebrate you in doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just want to work on being honest with the Lord. Mm. And and uh being grateful because there are so many blessings um and and just this spend that time with the lord expressing how grateful i am for those blessings but then to be honest Mm -hmm. you know lord i need you with me today i I need to be close to you Mm -hmm. and and having that trust in his mercy and his love for me that even though it may not all be happy rainbows and unicorns necessarily that though there is consolation knowing that the Lord is with me. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. I think it's also okay to be honest with him of like, Lord, I, I'm a little upset today or I need your help today or, or even, I don't know. I think sometimes we're not even honest that we're upset with him. Mm. And yes, that's never you know, he, he's the source of goodness and love. So that's misdirected. But in my heart, he knows that, okay, let's, let's work on this together. So yeah. Honesty with the Lord. I love it, Dave. He's good. He is always good. He's good. I'm looking forward to catching up with Dr. Marlin. Me too. Um, it's our first show with him of this new year, and we're going Mm -hmm. to be starting a series on evangelization. So we're going to get Dr. Marlin on the line. We'll be right back with your friends. You're listening to the St. Gabriel Cafe.
A Prayer for Ohio. Ever-living God, you give life and desire a future for all of your children. Take hold of our nation, state, and community, and awaken in every heart awe for the gift of life. Send your Spirit to strengthen us with wisdom and fortitude as we defend mothers and children in Ohio from laws that disregard their health and safety. Mary and Joseph trusted in you and welcomed Jesus into our broken world. Father, we ask their intercession to protect the preborn and their mothers and to guide all parents in raising their children. May they help us build a civilization of love by upholding the sacredness of life, preserving parental rights, and walking with pregnant women in need. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lady, Mother of the Family, pray for us. St. Joseph, Protector of the Unborn, pray for us. Do you have a minute for lasting happiness? Living virtuously is the way to freedom, happiness, and holiness. To grow in virtue, we must learn about it, practice it, and persevere in it. This is what the saints have achieved with excellence. An excellent example of the virtue of docility is seen in St. Dominic Savio. He lived docility heroically by his willingness to be taught. He recognized the goodness in his teacher, John Bosco, and opened his mind and heart to the Italian priest. Dominic's docility prepared him well to accept the Lord's call to leave this life at the age of only 14. His readiness to welcome grace gained him eternal life. Let us ask St. Dominic Savio to pray for us, that we too may grow in docility. Educate yourself in virtue. Learn more at educationinvirtue.com. Welcome back, friends, to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn, and we're joined in right now by our friend, Dr. Marlon Delatore. Good morning, doctor. Good morning, Amanda and Dave. How are you both? Good morning. So blessed to have you with us again. I've missed you. Yeah, it's been a while. We took a, a nice little Advent and New Year's Eve day and uh, break, so it's, it's, been, it's been too long. Well, bring us up on your life. I understand you were able to go to St. Louis for Seek 24. Yeah, uh, so several of my staff and I went to Seek uh, to support Bishop uh, Fernandez since he was speaking and celebrating Masses there. And really, we had a good Columbus contingent because it is a drivable distance, about six hours. And so just a, a beautiful way to reconnect with a lot of my colleagues and friends, uh, participate in Seek itself, see the... Uh, the vibrancy of the church with our young adults and for those who have a, a missionary spirit to go forth and proclaim the gospel and really just to uh, know that uh, we are part of the mission field uh, to be able to celebrate Mass and to see so many young people uh, in adoration celebrating liturgy the hours, going to confession mm-hmm. and to prepare themselves for what lies ahead. So it was a, it was a holy time, a beautiful time, uh, a time for renewal, but really uh, an awakening to understand what lies ahead and what we need to do to bring all of our brothers and sisters back home. Amen. Does the schedule allow for uh, much time for fellowship? Yes and no. I mean, you, you have to schedule it, um, unfortunately, and and so it, it is packed. Uh, the times that we can get together, so we managed to get a uh, an evening with just all the Columbus contingent, mm-hmm. and that was good. Where, where Bishop spoke about the need for evangelization and catechesis and formation, 
Uh, other than that, pretty much everybody is on their track or on their own. So mm-hmm. it, it does uh, present a, a challenge. Typically, it's not till all the festivities are over for the day that you can gather together with friends, and that's usually probably after 8, 30, 9 o'clock. At least. night? At night. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's not stop. It's a, <laughs> it, it, it's a, it's not just a, um, a retreat. It's, it's an ongoing adventure, so it's pretty bad. <laughs> it sounds like it's a schedule made for the young, Doctor. <laughs> it is not for me anymore. No, once once you pass 50, uh, you basically you, you want either a scooter or a walker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anything really uh, stand out for for the diocese where, where you know, uh, uh, something that you hadn't necessarily thought about going into it, but coming out saying this is this is really something that we need to talk about here as a church in Columbus? Well, we, we, we can't be ignorant of the creeds. So one of the things that, that keeps coming up, especially from young adults, uh, and this really is a... Uh, I believe, a development over the last decade to probably 15 years, is this, this emphasis on evangelization, the charisma, the proclamation of the gospel, has been uh, front and center for, for some time. And, and many uh, speakers, uh, presenters, what have you, professors, those out in the field, media personalities, have presented necessarily the, the message and what it is. Obviously, it's the message is Jesus Christ. But we haven't demonstrated it well. And our young adults are saying, look, teach me what this means. Walk me through how this works. So, uh, and it's something that uh, I, I've been focusing on for, for quite some time, and why Bishop actually brought me in is the missing aspect of what it means to actually demonstrate the charisma. How do we put the creed, uh, uh, what the Church teaches, uh, into practice with respect to evangelization? Because evangelization is the door that helps us to see why the Church teaches what she teaches, why Christ handed down a specific creed. And when you ignore that, when the kids are on fire for the Lord, they do want to pray, and they have this, this ardent desire to speak of Christ. But then if they're not properly trained to do so, when it comes to articulating the tough questions, when you get to a, a response of faith that requires you to discuss sin, or the Incarnation, or say, the four last things that judgment heaven held, and they got stuck, and that's where you you lose aspects of the of the evangelization process, and the curriculum becomes somewhat questioned or muted, or the person mm-hmm. who maybe is a non-believer or fallen Catholic, or baptized non-believer, which we have many of those, are all over the place. We'll look at you and say, well, if you if you can't explain that to me, then then why preach the gospel to me? And, and that happens a lot. So uh, that's something that's coming up even more so. And ever before, which I'm not surprised, because I knew it would, it would eventually um, reveal itself in some way. So that's where I, I see the young adults asking for more instruction, uh, because they want to put more more content and context in the message, if that makes sense. Dr. Marlon De La Torre, you had mentioned just the need for the kerygma to be demonstrated. Could you define that term for us so we can have greater understanding, kerygma? Sure. So when, when you look at the term evangelization or the kerygma or, or the, 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 the kiddo in Greek, which means basically to announce or to proclaim, what you're doing is you, you're unveiling a message. And so when you look at the kerygma from the Greek or evangelization taking from the root of the Latin, all right, they both mean to unveil or to demonstrate. It's like a pre-evangelization. What I mean by that is it's the first instance where you dialogue with someone, when you unveil to someone 
a message that is distinct and unique. But the content of that message is the person of Jesus Christ, who is both fully human, fully divine. So this becomes really the, uh, the introduction, if you will, Amanda, of what it means to uh, evangelize. It means you're, you're literally offering something up. You're explaining something to the person who may not be aware of what that means. So really, it's um, from, the, from the kerygma to evangelization or evangelion, also from the Greek, which means a testimony of life or a testimony of who Christ is. This becomes a stepping stone. And for anybody who presents the kerygma or presents this whole evangelion or this, this gospel proclamation, what the person needs to encounter is, does he or she who presents this kerygma, this message, of a divine being, of the person of Jesus Christ, do they actually believe in him? And do are they are they living him in some way? This would be from the non-believer to the known whoever uh, may be encountering you. So the charisma is literally uh, a demonstration, uh, a proclamation of the person of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> it means that there's a message behind it, and the message is uh, tied with salvation, meaning that my salvation is inherently tied to this belief and, and knowledge of this person who was Jesus Christ, Son of God. I like how you phrase this as um, essential to, um, in, the, in that stage of pre-evangelization. Mm-hmm. But I think also, and, and um, love to have your thoughts on it being so foundational, it's good for any of us to return to this. It, it, it's like, the in football the the fundamentals blocking and tackling you know you, sometimes you just have to come back to the fundamentals and see it for the first time all over again oh absolutely i think look, there's to put context into that dave when, when you look at sacred scripture okay the the, the, the identity of the charisma is the word of god plain and simple Mm. Anyone else who tells you otherwise is basically lying to you or deliberately misinterpreting or, or, or guiding you in the wrong path. But the kerygma is really uh, entrenched in the Word of God. It is the proclamation of God's Word, because God is Logos. He is the Word. He revealed His Logos, if we want to put a scriptural context in Luke one twenty six through Gabriel to Mary. He is the Logos when, I believe in John 14.9, I believe, where God tells the apostles, He who sees Him sees me. That I am the living word now, now presented to you through human form, assumed body and soul, all right, in Christ the Son. And so when you look at that context, all right, the, the, the proclamation of, of this particular uh, gospel, all right, which is the Word of God, the Logos, it cannot be something itinerant. It, it is real, it, it is structured, it is beautiful. Um, I, I always tell people to turn to 1 Corinthians 15 because in there you see Paul's announcement again of salvation history or what happened and what Christ did from his from his life, his death, and particularly his resurrection and what's our responsibility to go back to the basic that you allude to. And so this is very important that we understand that when we return to the basic uh, understanding of faith, we have to turn to the Word of God. And the Word has always been with us. So the infamous uh, prologue of John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then St. John reaffirms this in his first epistle, where he says, from the beginning, all right, the Word has existed and has always been. So this is telling us that from the very beginning, 
we, we are called to be uh, agents of that beautiful proclamation of the gospel. And so when we begin our mission, our journey, to, to, to reset ourselves, it's the fact that we weren't baptized to be sacramentalized. Right? But prior to baptism, if you're an adult, you received a message. The message compels you to seek baptism. And that becomes, again, starting over. And as an infant, the message is the parents proclaiming to God on behalf of their child that they will hear my language at home to be centered on Jesus Christ. And in hearing that language, that child is baptized. And after that baptism, the child will be reinforced with that language uh, in light of their baptism. So this is going back to basically the basic or the origin of who we are and what we're called to do and to be. Uh, and so, it's, for example, to receive a sacrament without hearing the message is a new point. Basically, you're going to have somebody who's baptized but not, but not properly evangelized or ha- has a proper sense of conversion. So it's important that you go back to the basic, and the basic really begins with the proclamation of the Word of God. Dr. Marlon Delatore from the Diocese of Columbus. We're talking about evangelization and the kerygma. You mentioned, uh, Dr., uh, coming out of Seek 24 with this, um, with this desire to reacquaint all of us with, uh, with the Word of God, with, uh, with the kerygma. Is that what prompted you to propose the series that we're starting today on the essential aspects of evangelization? I did. I was talking with a colleague of mine that I've known for many, many years who, who I could seek. She's a, she's a religious sister. She's a vocation director of a major uh, religious order uh, in the United States, and, and we go back 20 years. And uh, she and I were discussing just the, uh, the, the entire development of young adults over the last 20 years, and to what I alluded to earlier regarding the, the emphasis on, on evangelization and the charisma and that there seems to be a lack of, of, of understanding of the relationship between kerygma, creed, doctrine, catechesis, and what have you. And she, she echoed the same thing that I had mentioned to you before. She said, no, they're on fire for the Lord, but they're not formed. And, and she deals with the young adults every day, literally every day, 365 days a year. And she sees that the common denominator that she has seen and that other vocations directors have mentioned to her as well is, these kids are beautiful, they're on fire for the Lord, but they're not properly formed, which could really easily sway their, their, uh, their understanding of the Word of God and its application or what the Church actually prescribes or teaches. And so that's part of why I think we need to dive into this area of, of evangelization, what the charisma is, a proper understanding from a Catholic lens of how we evangelize, how we're called to naturally evangelize and not just be sacramentalized, and why there is an inherent relationship between the Word of God Right, and how the Word of God drives our understanding of Catholic doctrine, or the fact of, of why we teach. Um, so this is probably one of the, the main emphasis, because it, it keeps coming up more and more in, in my travels throughout the diocese. People ask me, tell me this, tell me what this means, how is this applied? They read Scripture, but then they need someone. It's like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts say, like, all right, yes. I'm reading this, but yeah. could you walk me and explain to me what this actually means and how to live it? and what it means to, to be a, 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 a creedal people, so to speak. So that's a, a lot of the reason why we're, we're diving into this. Dr. Marlon Delatore, uh, talking with us about evangelization and the kerygma. Doctor, we, we have about two minutes left, and I yeah. think maybe this will just be a jumping-off point for next Tuesday's 
mm-hmm. um, conversation, but you had shared a quote from Evangeli Nuntiandi, um, mm-hmm. paragraph 60, evangelization is for no one an individual and isolated act. It is mm-hmm. one that is deeply ecclesial. Okay. That is, um, St. Paul VI understood that if we are going to, in some way, present the message, it cannot be personal. It must be within the mind and heart of the Church, meaning that we, as children of God, must reflect our identity as God's child. Okay, And then in that turn, proclaim Jesus Christ crucified, and in that turn, proclaim the salvific reality of who Christ is, not our own. And so when he means that that our our evangelization process has to be deeply ecclesial, it has to be within the mind and heart of the Church. It cannot stray. It cannot present a false dichotomy of faith or a false doctrine or a false pathway. And this really gets to the heart of, of anything that we do must be done within the heart of the Trinity. It must be done within the heart of the Church. And that's really the key of what he's getting at. Is that a good place to start next week, or is there absolutely. even a step before that? No, that's absolutely. We can definitely start there and, and really look at the Church and our relationship uh, in its ecclesial nature. Absolutely. I'm pumped. Yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> Thank you for uh, proposing this, Doctor. Thank you. No, I appreciate it, David and Amanda, for the opportunity just to, to, to speak to the faithful throughout the Diocese of Columbus. Amen. Well, you have a great week, and we'll be back with you next Tuesday. God bless you both. Appreciate it. Thank you. God bless you, Dr. Marlon Delatore. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Deacon Joe Meyer from St. Matthew in Gahanna. He's going to be sharing a really beautiful and profound message of his family's forgiveness and how they discovered God's mercy. Stay with us. Well, Happy New Year. (laughs) There we go. No break. So welcome back to the St. Gabriel Cafe. Amanda. (laughs) Delighted to be here. Wasn't that just such a lovely conversation with Dr. Marlon De La Torre? I'm really excited about this series that we're going to be doing because I, I experienced a lot of the sentiments that he shared in terms of, yeah, just being kind of a young adult and wanting to know how exactly to do to be formed, to, to evangelize. So it's so important for all of us to, because we, when doctor brought in the creed, Mm -hmm. this is what we profess and to know what the church has to say, right? Because we are Catholic Mm -hmm. and there's so many different voices and so much, um, other teaching. And I'm not saying it's all bad by any means, but to know that the fullness of the truth resides in the Catholic Church. And 
to really understand that and be informed and formed by that teaching in proclaiming the gospel and evangelizing others. It, it's so essential. I think it, I, I'm really grateful that uh, Dr. Marlin had this, um, this prompting by the Spirit to, uh, to bring this back from the Seek 24 conference and, and to share it with us and, and, and the diocese. So, yeah, very much looking forward to breaking this open. Joining us now is Deacon Joe Meyer, Deacon at St. Matthew Parish in Gahanna. Good morning, Deacon. Good morning. Glad to be with you today. Yeah. This is Dave. That's Amanda. <laughs> Thanks. Hi. <for> it. <laughs> Hi, Deacon Joe. So hey, you serve at uh, St. Matthew. Yeah, you serve at St. Matthew in Gahanna. Uh, when were you ordained, Deacon? I was ordained in 2012. Uh-huh. So, yes, it's going on 12 years. I can't believe how fast the time's gone. <laughs> well, we're blessed. So, we are blessed by your ministry. And tell us just a little bit about yourself and your family and... Uh, well, your I, call to the diaconate. I, I come from a family. My parents are a Catholic family, of course, and uh, I am one of six children. I am the oldest living uh, sibling, and uh, my parents, uh, they were married uh, going on 70 years, I think it was, and then my dad uh, died a year ago last July, mm-hmm. and my mom is still alive. She's going to be 94 in April, and uh, our siblings are, have rallied together to care for them in their old age, and we have somehow kept them in their condo, and uh, we just, uh, we have some caretakers that come in and take care of them. I, and that's my, my family, and then um, my wife and I have been married 45 years. We were high school sweethearts, and that in history class, and the rest has been history, I guess. (laughs) uh, Our first date was uh, June 30th, 1975, and, you know, I think it was pretty magical uh, evening that night. Uh, My wife and I uh, spent most of the time talking about our families, and uh, she had just got back from a retreat, so we were in search for God together, and at that time, and it was uh, pretty exciting. We're so blessed that we uh, that Jesus has been a part of our relationship. We have three sons and seven grandchildren. So yeah, and uh, it, it it's been uh, a joy to be a grandparent, um, but it's also been a joy in, in ministry. I, I think at the age of 22, I told my wife I came home from. Uh, weekend, and I said, I think that God is going to call me someday to become a deacon. (laughs) Mm. So by the time I was 35, I was involved in uh, coaching. I was a regional manager in the eyeglass business at that time. And, uh, you know, it wasn't really the right time until I I think it was, uh, I took this job at LASIK Plus as a center director in 2004, and I no longer had 22 locations and felt like it was, you know, maybe God was calling me with this extra time to pursue that dream that I had talked on and off about with my wife. And it wasn't until um, I met 
or it wasn't until we had a mass here at our home from a, a priest friend of the family, and we were sitting around the uh, the breakfast table, and he said, "I think God is calling you to become a deacon." And uh, the family was like, "Yeah, Joe, you should definitely pursue that." What the funny thing is, is that uh, two weeks before that, I had just told my wife that I think I need to investigate that. So I told him I would pray about it, and I went downstairs that night uh, practicing my guitar for uh, the choir that I was in, and we were going to be doing a new song, and it was called The Summons. And (laughs) it said, will you go where you don't know if I would call your name? Will you leave yourself behind and never be the same? Will you quell the fear inside? Will you kiss the leper clean and do such as this unseen? I showed my wife, and she said, yeah, I, I think you need to start that process. So, wow. <laughs> so it entered into it, and I just, uh, you know, I really fell in love with the church the more I kept learning about my faith, and it was uh, an exciting experience, and I really looked forward to being with the brothers and, and as we um, it, it, as we came together to learn more about uh the calling of the diaconate, and uh, it's it's been a good journey. I'm so grateful that God assigned me to St. Matthew's, so many beautiful people there, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it's lots of highlights. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Deacon Joe Meyer, deacon at St. Matthew Church in Gahanna. Deacon, we've had, uh, or I, I've been blessed uh, to share time with you in a, a men's group that meets uh, once a week. And a couple weeks ago, we discussed a, well, we watched uh, a video from uh, Bishop Barron on forgiveness and mm-hmm. then discussed it some. And you shared a story that really stayed with me. And I think all, all the guys that were uh, there that evening, it was the first time that I had heard it. But I wanted to invite you back on. Uh, to share your story, your family's story of forgiveness and mercy. So um, if you can set it up for us, I know um, it begins with uh, a loss of a sibling. Yeah, my oldest sister, uh, Mary Catherine, um, she had had nine children, actually. um, And she was killed in a vehicular manslaughter accident. Um, Her body was left on the side of a road. My parents had to got a phone call on a Saturday morning, and um, my dad called me and to tell me that they got news that my sister was killed, and they had to go to the morgue to identify her body. And uh, it was a pretty tough time in our family. Um, but you know, I think that when you go through difficulties like that, you either turn toward God or you turn away from God. And our family is always, my, especially my dad, has been such a good spiritual leader. Um, but uh, it, it requires God's grace. And so um, about, you know, uh, the gentleman who was responsible for it, um, he had a family as well, um, but he ended up in prison. And about a year and a half later, he... Uh, sent a a letter to my dad um, asking for his forgiveness. And my dad didn't waste any time at all. He um, forgave him immediately 
and wrote a letter back to him. Now, and, Deacon, was this man a Christian? You know, I don't know. Hmm. Um, I don't know, but my father, well, I don't know that much about him, mm-hmm. uh, but my father wrote back and said my daughter was a very forgiving person, indeed a very good person, and in the spirit of her and what we have learned through our faith, when we pray to our Father, we accept your your apology with sincerity. And he says that in his letter, and I'm looking at it right now, I had to kind of pull it back up on Sunday, he says, none of us can turn back the hands of time or alter or change the consequences of the past. But with God's help, we can control the present and the future. And he said, I'd like to share a prayer that has helped me through some dark days. So my dad shared a prayer with him and said, Lord, I don't understand, always understand your ways. Please give me the strength and courage to endure this day, to to, uh, hope to go on, and the faith know you are always with me. And um, he said, we accept your apology, and may you and your family um, enjoy the hope and joy of this Christmas season, knowing that regardless of the circumstances, no person or thing has the power to stop God's love for all of us. And, you know, that's, hmm. that's kind of... And my dad, he... I'm sorry, that's <laughs> kind thinking about him, mm-hmm. but he always lived a simple life, and his view of faith was very simple, and And I think that, you know, he, I would see my dad in the mornings on his knees uh, praying, and then um, as a young child, there was a short period of time where we would, he pulled the family together, and we would do um, the rosary. I think it was like on Friday nights, and he'd pull the family together and we'd pray. Um, but everything always came down to the Lord's Prayer. And if we are going to, um, we, we don't deserve God's grace, and we certainly don't earn it, um, but God is so forgiving. And all you got to do is look on the cross. And he died for our sins. And, and you know, I have so many sins myself that I need to be forgiven for. Um, and he did it all for me and for you. And so we are told that forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are commissioned to forgive. Um, and... The other thing that happened, especially with, I think, my dad and the whole family, is forgiveness promotes healing, and um, and it heals the wounds of the past. We don't ever forget, and as I read through some of the newspaper clippings, you know, over the weekend, it brought back memories and yeah. things like that. Memories are always going to be there, but God, in His grace— uh, he provides us with so much, and and when I, when I work with couples, I talk about, you know, like the Catechism says that 
that sacraments are efficacious signs of God's grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the Church by which divine life is dispensed to us. And I always take that catechism quote and I break it down because um, it says several important things. They're signs, sacraments are signs of God's grace. And then how do we explain grace? If I were to say, what is grace? Um, I think when I was in formation, I heard the best definition I've ever heard of God's grace. And that was from Monsignor Charles Pope listening to, you know, probably St. Gabriel Radio. <laughs> and, um, but he broke down God's grace into four Ps. And it, the first P is God's presence, and it's given to us in all of the sacraments, especially you think baptism, but you think Holy Eucharist, His presence is given to us. It is like it's an, it's an um, and that presence is a present that we either choose to open or not open. It's a gift. So we have to open the gift. And if we open the gift of his presence, we receive it in the present moment. He won't give it to us for the regrettable past. If we're living in the past, beating ourselves up, we have to forgive ourselves. He won't give it to us for the fear of future. What's fear? future evidence appearing real. And Jesus says, mm. do not, why do you worry? Look at the lilies of the field. They do not toil nor spin. Yet your heavenly Father it, it loves you so much more. You know, oh, ye of little faith. And so many times I have to say, yeah, that's me, Lord. I'm getting caught up in worry. So he doesn't want us in the fear of future. He doesn't want us in the regrettable past. And if we open that present, we receive power. That's the second P of God's grace. So the first P is presence, the second P is his power, and that's supernatural power. What is that supernatural power for? That supernatural power is to be able to proclaim the truth, to stand up in times of danger, and most importantly, to be able to forgive, because left to ourselves, we cannot. My dad had to pull from God's grace to be able to forgive the man who, you know, was responsible for the death of his daughter and my sister. But he, God gave him that grace, and that was supernatural power. So that comes from all the sacraments, that comes from being in communion with our brothers and sisters that help us in this journey. And then the, the third P of God's grace is that that. He says, be ye perfect, your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, God is so forgiving, and God is so, His love is beyond our comprehension. His mercy is beyond, is infinite, and how are we going to do that? Well, God gives us the grace, and He's working out His perfection in our lives. Um, you know, one of my favorite authors is uh, Luis Martinez. He was a 1950s Archbishop in uh, Mexico, and um, he says that the Holy Spirit, which is the sanctifier, and we're talking about sanctifying grace, from the time we are born till the time we die, he says the Holy Spirit is working out his perfection in 
in our life. He's painting the lines of Jesus onto the canvas of our souls. Or I think he says that our souls are like marble. And what's the Holy Spirit doing? He's chipping away things that no longer belong there. And that comes that 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 comes happens in difficult times in our life. It happens in the death of a sibling. It happens in the death of a parent. It happens in the divorce. It happens in a job loss. That if we turn toward God, He is carving us, shipping away things, and carving us more into His image and likeness. And then the final P of God's grace is His peace. And it's His peace and His love. It is it's something that the world cannot give, it's something the world cannot understand, but it comes to us. Even in times of difficulty like that, His presence is given to us to give us peace. He wants us to live in peace, and He wants His joy in us, as John would say, my joy to be complete in you. So He gives us His presence, His supernatural power, his perfection, and his peace. And we receive it every time we cooperate with his grace. Deacon Joe Meyer from St. Matthew Parish in Gahanna sharing his story of forgiveness and, and grace, these four P's of grace, presence, power, perfection, and peace. When, yes. when this... Um, letter ex, uh, exchange of letters between uh, the gentleman in, in prison and, and your father. Did you know, were you aware of that in real time, or is that something that came out that your father shared later? Well, my dad told us that he wrote a letter of forgiveness, um, and I actually, he, he, but I didn't read it until the day he died. Mm. And um, I went to my dad's, uh, I'm the durable power of attorney for financial and medical. And when dad died, I went to the file cabinet because we wanted him. He was a World War II guy. And, um, and we wanted him to have, you know, honors uh, for his funeral, uh, military honors. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for his military papers. And I ran across this letter, but I also ran across another letter that he um, that he wrote about his theology of life, and um, and he had he was diagnosed with nine centimeters of esophageal cancer in 2009, and um, and when he was diagnosed with that cancer, um, he really was kind of excited because he was going to be able to meet his mom for the first time. And his mother died when he was born, which is really interesting. His father, his, his father's mother died when his, he was born as well. So there oh were two generations of mother's death. So dad always like, I, you know, I, I can't wait to meet my mom someday. And so when he, you know, he thought he got his death notice, and he was put on a feeding tube, my dad was, and, and in fact, I was devastated because I was still in formation, and I thought, he's not going to live to see me. 
um, become ordained. And um, so, but he um, reflected on his life in 2011, two years after his uh, diagnosis with cancer. He overcame this cancer with no chemo. He did six weeks of radiation. They shrunk down the teeth. The tumor, evidently, he had a feeding tube, and and um, six months later, he asked him, said, "Can you please take this feeding tube out because I want to be able to work out. I want to go swimming." He said, "Well, it's probably going to come back." Well, God cured him of that, and and it was really, I think, his acceptance of of death because he was looking forward to it, he said, Joe, I think I know more people on the other side than I do on this side. <laughs> he, said, he said, just take care of your mom. I've lived a great life. You know, mm. dad ended up, he died a year ago last uh, July. He lived till he was 95. Um, so we mm. had like 13 more years, whatever. I can't remember how many more years of life that we had for dad. But I pulled out this letter yeah, we have about six minutes left. You can, would, would you mind sharing this letter with us? It's his theology yeah. of life, right? Yeah, here's his thing, and it's very simple. So here he says, um, this was his letter. Hold on just a second. Here it is. It's so 2011, here it is. I'm looking up my homily because I use it in my homily. He said, um, we are all born with an expiration date. We just don't know when it is. And best we don't know. Recently, with advanced years and other telling indicators, I couldn't help wonder how the clock was running and how many tomorrows I might have. Now, not being a great Bible scholar, I thought I would explore the Bible. They say the Bible is the Word of God. But when you open it up, it seems there are innumerable words. And he puts in parentheses. Maybe they couldn't count that high or tried counting with Roman numerals. So I asked myself, where's the word I'm looking for? He goes, when they asked Jesus how we should pray, he gave us the Our Father, a very short, simple prayer. It also indicates he speaks to the simple-minded, no offense is taken, he says, in it, he said, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't ask us, they tell us, to bargain for anything more than that. Also, when I pray the rosary each day, when i completing the rosary, I say, dear God, whose only begotten Son, by his life, death, and resurrection, has purchased for us the rewards of eternal life. Grant we beseech thee, but away meditating upon these mysteries of the most holy rosary of the Blessed Mary that we may imitate what they contain and obtain what they promise to the same Christ our Lord. Because now eternal life means there's no beginning or end. So the Word must be now. And if I'm fortunate enough to make it that far, I will also be meeting my mother for the first time. It is comforting to know that we will all be in a perfect state of being. I wasn't, I was a little concerned that she would need a bald-headed, broken-down old man. And, 
and be looking for the exchange counter. Incidentally, if you spell the word now backwards, you get one. So have a great now to all of you. Bill Meyer, sometime in 2011. Oh, man. Deacon, Deacon Joe Meyer from St. Matthew and Gehenna. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that uh, this uh, this part of your father's life. And I can't imagine we have three minutes left, uh, Deacon, um, that this was a surprise to you. Oh, it, yeah, it was a, a confirmation. I would I would probably say of uh, of a life well lived. Yeah, and and it all came down to it's it's all in the Lord's prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, we He gives us our daily bread. We ask for that. We have to forgive. We are commanded. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, "Blessed are those who mourn." You know, that, you know, and blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. That is an important part of our spirituality. It is hard, but all we got to do is open the present, and it's His grace. And it's in the present, and he will give us the supernatural power to forgive. He, and he can help heal our memory uh, and heal the wound. We're broken. The problem is hurt people hurt people, so we have to be healed. We, and the first part of healing is forgiveness. We actually are healing ourselves by forgiving the other person that has offended us. We don't hold the other person hostage. We hold ourselves hostage if we don't forgive. Outstanding. Deacon Joe Meyer from St. Matthew Parish in Gahanna. Deacon, thanks for sharing this. Uh, You've given us and all of our friends a lot to walk with today. And um, may we all pray the Our Father uh, with this understanding uh, that you've uh, helped us with today. May Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Deacon Joe Meyer. Thanks, Deacon. Thank you. God bless you. See you soon. All right. Thank Mm. you. Bye now. Mm. Friends, thanks for being with us in the cafe today. Tomorrow, we have Kelly Henderson and Mark Huddy with us. So we'll see you tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. God bless you all.